Welcome back to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We're happy to be back on the air. We are adjusting to life post-COVID-19 epidemic. And this show will be broadcasting on Tuesday, April 21st. You've been enjoying some of our rebroadcasts, but we definitely wanted to get back to real-time reporting. And a lot of these elections that are coming up are going to be complicated because of the new era that we're in. Especially if you saw what's going on in Wisconsin, voting can be very complicated. We're going to address that throughout throughout all of our episodes. Today, we do want to focus on one of the runoff elections that is coming up because, of course, turnout is going to be key. And this is supposed to have happened in May. It's now been moved to July. And one of the major races has to do with Harris County Commissioner Precinct 3. We've actually got one of the candidates on the air with us through a remote Diana Martinez-Alexander, who is vying to become the first Latina elected to Harris County Commissioner Precinct 3. Diane, thank you for calling in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your uh, primary success. You were the top vote getter among the Democrats. So that was a lot of hard work because you cover a lot of ground. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And in July, you will be facing uh, Michael Moore. And the winner from that will go on to the November election. And that person will face the winner from the Republican Party, Tom Ramsey. And of course, the incumbent, Raddick, is not seeking another term. He's retiring. That's pretty fascinating because right now, you know, uh, it, this was considered a staunchly Republican seat. You know, either Mr. Raddick got tired and just decided to to retire, or this could be another uh, allusion to the fact that it is a very big changing demographic here in County Commissioner Precinct 3. Um, I'll point out, too, that I am also, a, I live in the district, too. And what's fascinating to me is that this is not considered a Hispanic opportunity district. But, you know, Spring Branch, which is part of the precinct, that's over 40% Latino. And everywhere I go in this district, there's a lot of Latinos. Um, of all the Democratic candidates, there was one, two, three, four, five. There were six Democratic candidates. A ton, yeah. <laughs> and they wound up getting 60,800 votes. And then on the Republican side, they had three uh, Republican candidates. They wound up getting 57,000 votes. So again, there you have the Democrats coming out in larger numbers. We'll let people draw their own conclusions. Um, and then the last thing I'll add, because I do want to get your take on what it was like to run in that, that large field. Uh, one of the Republican candidates was Brenda Stardig, who was formerly Harris, I'm sorry, um, Houston City Council representative for District A. And she stepped down because of term limits. And I was surprised that she did not get more votes. Um, so I say all those things because there's a lot of complications. Um, you were out in the field, Diana. First of all, tell us what it was like to run such a large terrain with so many candidates. So when I joined uh, the campaign and started everything, 
I didn't foresee that we'd have so many in the the field. I realized quite quickly that a lot of people uh, were interested in the race and that there were a lot of uh, people vying for that seat. And uh, I'm glad that I was the first one to enter the race because then I kind of got a lay of the land and got people to know me and um, meet me and hear what my vision was for the district. And it's been really exciting. That's great. And then additionally, you do have a lot of experience in education and in the community. So I do want to read your, your bio to our to our listeners. You're currently an educator at a large urban school district in Houston, serving special education students, linguistically diverse populations, and lower socioeconomic communities. For over 20 years, you've held several roles within the school setting. You're passionate about advocating for children and family needs. As the daughter of immigrants, you're an activist committed to lifting the voices of and serving uh, and protecting the needs of underserved students and undocumented community members. And since the 2016 election, you've devoted your time working in the community to fight on behalf of undocumented and mixed status families, building coalitions with other grassroots organizations, supporting local and state progressive candidates, and fighting for equity in the educational system. You've served on the leadership team for the Houston chapter of Pantsuit Republic, Indivisible Houston, and Pantsuit's Republic in Texas. You co-founded the Houston Rebel Alliance to focus on immigration activism and policy reform. And you got a runoff coming here in, in July. I tell you what, just reading your description, that definitely shows that it's a different era than when Mr. Raddick first became uh, the incumbent because you do bring up a lot of issues. Let's talk about coming from an immigrant family. Now, the show's called Latino Politics and News. I want to make it clear that we know you're ready to serve for everyone. We, we, we get that. But I also want to make it a case that it is vital to get Latinas to run for office. Tell us something a little about the challenge of being a Latina to make it in the educational field, but also in the campaign. When people see me, they kind of pigeonhole me as a person, a woman of color. Uh, they see that I'm an educator and they say, why don't you run for a school board? But I have so much expertise and experience in a lot of different fields and building community and seeing the potential for people and talking through problems and facilitating projects. And all of those skills be a huge asset uh, as a commissioner. And I get frustrated when someone tries to kind of limit what I can do because I know uh, what is possible. I've seen um, my my progress from being an activist and organizer starting in 2016, taking the skills that I already had as an educator and a community member and seeing it thrive because I saw issues that I just wasn't willing to um, ignore. And I wanted to make sure that I used whatever privilege that I have uh, to uplift my community. That's my responsibility. You talk about pigeonholing. I think a lot of times when people think about Latina, Latino candidates, 
or if they talk about platforms trying to appeal to our community, they just focus on immigration. Obviously, that's important, but that's not the only issue. One of my major issues is education. What would you do for education if you were elected Harris County Commissioner for Precinct 3? So there is a part of the Harris County um, uh, infrastructure, which is the Harris County Department of Education, which provides uh, GED classes, ESL classes, um, other supports for um, students with special needs. And it's it works kind of in tandem um, under our umbrella. And we're one of the few counties that has that um, infrastructure and I would like to make sure that it stays intact because they serve over 26 school districts and it just makes it easier for us to pool our resources as a county to pro to provide those services like therapy occupational therapy physical therapy um, I also want to make sure that we're looking at ways to keep families intact and that impacts education because if you look at um, what they call Maslow's theory uh, hierarchy, uh, it talks about how students need their basic needs met before they can worry about um, education or be in a growth mindset. So if we're not addressing those basic needs of um, housing, food, and you know, job stability for families, then students aren't able to reach their full potential. And so if we're building up families, um, we're building up students and that that it's all connected together. You can't really, it's, it's hard to parse it out once you see how everything uh, is related. Um, I've been part of different organizations that have advocated for Mexican American Studies at the Texas State Board of Education. Uh, Texas State Board of Education actually endorsed Mexican American Studies statewide. They're about to vote to endorse African American Studies statewide. We're also going to interview some of the Texas State Board of Education uh, candidates. Of course, seat six is, is up for election. But would you be open to investigating ways that the county could implement Mexican American Studies and Ethnic Studies through the capacity as commissioner? Yes, I think that they do have some schools, um, you know, um, that are under their alternative schools. Um, I've been working very closely with one of the candidates um, who is very keen on making sure that um, we have a broader base of curriculum that makes sense, that's fact-based, that is inclusive and recognizes the value that all community members bring to the table. Uh, Michelle Palmer, uh, I'm proudly her friend and um, I, I see the connection between curriculum and um, its value to bringing a quality education to students in Texas. Since Texas has a huge uh, number of students, if decisions are made for curriculum and textbooks here in, in, in our state, it affects nationwide decisions. So it's really critical to have somebody good in that seat. Great. And of course, we do plan to interview uh, Ms. Palmer as well to follow up on that. On another issue for education, of course, I'm the founder of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Waiters Heaven, they say. We've done a lot of work with um, the two Latino cultural centers in the city, 
Talento Building with the Houston and Mecca Multicultural Education Counseling for the Arts. However, out here on this part of town, and I'm talking about Spring Branch and, and going a little more north, which covers a lot of the, a lot of the district that you're uh, vying for, I don't see any Latino cultural arts centers. And it's very hard to find different spaces for that. Now, I know you've got, uh, as commissioner, you would have access to to funding for the arts differently than the city of Houston does, which they have to go through the Houston Arts Alliance to distribute those funds, and that's been very complicated. Um, would you would you look for ways to cultivate more arts in the community, and uh, you know, for Latinos, and of course, other groups as well? Absolutely, I know that right now a lot of people are counting on. Um, art and creativity as outlets since we're um, kind of stuck at home. And so uh, it just shows how important um, that is to our vitality, to us thriving as humans. And I would absolutely look for those opportunities to build um, more opportunities for Latino arts and culture um, in this area. There, if you look at certain community resources in Precinct 3, um, we have some beautiful parks, but when it comes to uh, community um, infrastructure like uh, clinics or uh, child care centers, um, there's a real need there. And so we would just um, put that on the list of other things that we need to expand in Precinct 3. That's exciting, and that's music to my ears. So it <laughs> sounds good. And, and you know what? I do want to bring up another issue that kind of bridges a lot of different communities. Again, I agree with you. Uh, art is vital, especially right now, because we need to be inspired. And the arts uh, infrastructure and artists, they're going to cover a lot of ground for education that your typical school systems don't reach. So I am in no way, shape, or form going to dismiss that. But I do want to build a bridge to some other issues that affect everyone because flooding doesn't ask you for a poem. Flooding doesn't ask you for your background. Flooding doesn't ask, uh, you know, what party you're in. Um, and part of your uh, terrain will be covering the attics, the reservoir and the dam, which of course made a lot of news when water had to be released. And of course, Right now, we're dealing with the COVID-19 epidemic, and perhaps we'll get through this just in time for hurricane season. Um, so let's talk a little bit about flooding. How would you handle uh, the way even even just the attics is, is um, thought of and controlled in order to keep our families from being flooded again? Sure. So when we had uh, the, the issue with, the, with attics and Harvey... Um, what we saw was kind of a communication, um, not mishandling, but things could have been done differently where there was more communication with the public. So I know that they've been working on infrastructure to make sure that in cases of natural disasters or emergencies that they're communicating better with, with the public and with residents to make sure that everyone stays safe. Um, there was an abrupt uh, decision to to let the water go, but we have to kind of backtrack um, before that to decide where property and where houses are even built, because if you look at recommendations, you know, 
there are certain um, guidelines that they follow that maybe things got cut a little too close and they weren't expecting um, global warming to, to happen as, as it has in our community. And so residents pay the price. There are still residents that are um, waiting for repairs to be done in their home. Um, they haven't had the money to do it. I just spoke to somebody during, uh, I think it was in February, who was washing their dishes uh, in the bathtub because they haven't had money to repair uh, since Harvey, and that's been over three years. So when we think about the effects of flooding, we also have to think about who has been impacted uh, the most and who hasn't been able to recover. So uh, I, I think about that in short-term projects and long-term projects and how we can be proactive instead of reactive and have a countywide climate crisis plan that includes uh, mass transportation that discusses where people should be building and you know increased buyout if possible of homes that are in flood prone areas and making sure that we're being thoughtful in our decision making because every behind every policy is a person and if we're ignoring recommendations from say the army corps of engineers and putting things off then people pay the price well, and you, you allude to one of the complications of that particular issue is that, right, you're dealing with everything from federal issues to literally things in our own backyard. So it, 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 it behooves all of us to have someone in there that is open to tough questions, open to meeting with the community, but really wants to cultivate a deep, profound look at all this because we've been overlooking the issue for decades and... I think what happens is we tend to forget after a couple of years, but just like you pointed out, there's still some people still recovering from Harvey, now stuck in this epidemic. It, it's about time we got serious with this. Absolutely. And it's going to take us to coordinate with neighborhood governmental entities like um, Fort Bend, like Waller, the city of Houston, and all the individual communities within Precinct 3 and um, surrounding Harris County because whatever happens in their area will affect us. So we have to make sure that we're ha have clear paths of communication and coordination to make this work. Fantastic. Now, I do want to close with giving you a chance to just tell our listeners what some of your main issues and, and your passions are running for office. But first, let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm hoping to treat this like an introduction to our listeners and the community. And of course, once we get past the quarantining, we're hoping to organize some events with the community. And it could be anything from a one-on-one -on -one town hall with you. Ideally, We'll also not just interview uh, Michael Moore and also uh, uh, Mr. Ramsey. We'd love to actually have a, a discussion with all three of you as well. Uh, I'd like to find out, would you be open to meeting with the community in person to dialogue throughout this uh, election cycle? Absolutely. I've had two town halls already to talk about different issues. Um, I know that the county commissioner role is a complex role, but I, I don't think that the community understands quite how it impacts them because it is so involved. 
there are so many services and so much infrastructure decided at the county level that if people understood the gravity of those decisions, they would really wanna to get to know who's gonna be sitting in that seat, knowing that that person is gonna be making decisions based on what is right for people, um, not looking at what developers want or special interests because I'm um, beholden to the community. That's why I got into this race. That's why uh, I'm here. And if I don't stand up for them, then I should just not even do it. Great. And on that note, please, uh, we'd like to give you a little time to tell tell our listeners what, what are some of the main things you'd like to address when uh, as, as county commissioner? Sure. So the main things that I want to focus on is number one, addressing the climate crisis. Um, for Like you said, for too long, it's been something that's been pushed aside. And we it's not a matter of if we're going to have another big storm, it's a matter of when. So if we're looking at our infrastructure, looking at uh, decisions made um, in building and development, looking at preserving green space and making sure that we're taking every precaution to prepare our city and prevent uh, the global warming crisis here in our city, in our community, then we got to take it. Uh, number two, I want to make sure it look at issues of equity. So if we are um, making decisions about criminal justice reform, about education, about uh, immigration, are we looking at ways to make sure that we're uplifting our community or just shutting the door and uh, making things more difficult when we need not to? Um, the next thing that I want to look at is transparency. For too long, we've had uh, budgetary decisions with you know massive amounts of money um, that really haven't been fully explained. Um, like if you look at the website for Harris County, it has a budget and has a byline, but it doesn't really explain what the the money is going for. So I wanna make sure that whenever we're making um, budgetary decisions that we're being thoughtful and we're being careful with money and making sure that we're spending it um, in ways that will uplift the community. Thank you for calling in. We look forward to talking to you again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.